Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 17 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, where we discuss all things going on in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. This week's XEP recorded on February 2nd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and this week we'll be discussing Xbox sales as they slow in preparation for next gen, Jedi Fallen Order sales exceeding their own expectations, and then we'll discuss how to build relationships with consumers and influencers in an intriguing interview with Christian Cooper, the global marketing communications manager for SteelSeries. Enjoy, guys. Yet another week of gaming news is upon us and behind us, and looking behind us, I just must say thank you so much to all of you who commented, reached out, thanked me, thanked Steven for the interview in last week's episode with Steven Spawn of Able Gamers. It was heartwarming to hear how much that interview, how much Steven, and how much Able Gamers means to the gaming community. It was a difficult thing to do to look into and see so many of the stories that Able Gamers has been able to help and uh, not been able to help. And it was heartwarming, it was tragic, it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And so I thank all of you for listening to that episode and for reaching out. Those are the reasons that we look into our gaming verse for support in so many ways. Oftentimes the negativity of the gaming verse can reach into our souls just a bit and taint what it is we love so much. But it's stories like Steven's and the, the stories that Steven brings to so many people now i think that remind us the beauty of gaming and what it can do for us so thank you guys to listen uh for listening to that interview and i'm equally excited to share with you this week's interview with christian cooper who is the global marketing and communications manager for steel series he'll talk to us about uh, how companies relate to gamers how they relate to consumers the right way to go about speaking between those lines how influencers now play a role in marketing to different people He'll talk to us specifically about SteelSeries products, but really the crux of it is the building of relationships and how PR works between those uh, different audiences throughout the gaming verse. And so I'm ecstatic to bring that to you. Uh, and I also want to look back to one of the other conversations we had last week about ninja theory and the gamification of mental illnesses. Some of the things we talked about, about how there's a bit of hypocrisy in that we gamify killing and death in video games. And I was having a wonderful conversation with a coworker. Hello, Matt. Hope you're doing well. Uh, about the gamification of those mental illnesses and how that stigma surrounding mental illnesses does play a role there. And I'm very happy to see Ninja Theory kind of taking those things head on and talking about psychosis, talking about mental illness on a, a number of different levels, fear and anxiety and the role they play for so many people throughout the country. And it really tied in well with Steven's interview. Uh, I love the conversations that are coming out about it. And it just reminds us to take a step back and look at what video games can do for people beyond simply high scores, beyond simple quick friendships that you might make on Xbox Live or PSN and what have you. So I really enjoyed that conversation and the conversations that came from last week's episode on a number of different levels, and I, and I thank you for that. Looking ahead into the news for this week, we have quite a few topics to just talk about revolving around sales numbers and statistics. It is no secret that the gaming industry is revving up and ramping down for the next generation. Xbox sales have slowed quite a bit going into next gen, but that doesn't tell a full story. Uh, we've seen that Xbox sales are down as people are working towards the next generation, saving up for those Xbox Series Xs. Now they've certainly slumped in recent bits for unit sales, but Satya Nadella stated in an earnings call, in the same earnings call where this data came out, that Xbox Live monthly active users are setting new records. It certainly speaks to the idea of something Phil Spencer said, uh, and he said, quote, the business is around software and service growth. That is a profitable part of our business. Selling hardware is not the profitable part of the business, end quote. Those were Phil Spencer's words, and it certainly seems to echo and add another bit of context to the doom and gloom of, you know, saying that Xbox sales are down. Well, certainly it would make perfect sense given that the, the generation is winding down and we're seeing services ramp up. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is certainly doing well. Its numbers have doubled in the last quarter alone. And you have to wonder how much of those that, that doubling is conversions from Xbox Live. We see a lot of, you know, convert for a dollar. We'll convert your Xbox Live months into Game Pass Ultimate. 
Now, it also speaks to the conversation we had last week where the question was asked, will we see Xbox Live fade away in favor of Game Pass Ultimate? I think I projected 10, 12 years before that is done in its finality, and other people are suggesting it might be much sooner. I think it all comes down to messaging and the right way to go about that. I don't even think about Xbox Live Gold or Games with Gold that much anymore, except when I bring you guys the news of Games with Gold. Uh, Beyond that, I don't even think about it. I just think of, oh, these are the games I'm getting through my subscription services, and I don't much pay attention to it. Uh, any longer, which some would argue is good, some bad. Of course, the games with gold announced for February, you're going to be getting TT Isle of Man, which is a sport bike racer that is, I'm told, very popular in its genre. Call of Cthulhu, a game that is also highly respected, but I would argue doesn't have a huge audience, perhaps more of a niche group, but I'm interested in that one because I like horror games, mystery games. We'll see if I even pick it up. It looks cool to me. Will I play it? I don't know. Sometimes with the games with gold, I I'm excited, I download it, and then I forget to get to it. I don't know if you guys run into that. The original Star Wars Battlefront from way back in the day on the original Xbox will be coming to games with gold, as will Fable Heroes, an old Xbox Live Arcade game. And that's great, neat. I don't even think about those as games with gold any longer. I just kind of think of those as games I get with Game Pass Ultimate, whether it's via you know Game Pass specific or games with gold, what have you. I just look at it as a way for me to play. And that goes back to the idea that Hardware no longer is the challenge. That hardware no longer is the place that that Microsoft is looking to make profit. And it's a good thing, too. I mean, I I would argue that when you don't win the generation and you you, uh, lose the hardware unit sales race by by a ratio of 2 to 1 with with PlayStation being so successful, there's nothing wrong with adjusting and adapting your business strategy so that you can indeed survive. I approve and I applaud that aspect. And if there's one thing to be noted from these numbers, the gaming industry is healthy. One of the other things that came out in that same uh, industry call was that hundreds of thousands of people are signing up for the xCloud beta. Just last week, my Canadian brethren, they were jumping into the xCloud beta, trying out so many different games. We see week over week games being added to xCloud. And it is true, as, as Phil Spencer said, the business model is not selling hardware. That's not where profit is made. It's in game subscriptions. It's in DLC. It's in purchasing of digital softwares. So to see so many people checking out Game Pass, doubling in the quarter, to see people signing up for xCloud, getting into that ecosystem, building achievements with their name that, that might suggest to them, all right, you know what? I don't want to lose that progress. I'm going to get in on this next Xbox generation with Series X or what have you. It certainly is a, uh, it's a strategy that I don't think is bold or outrageous. It certainly seems to make sense. There is nothing wrong with that strategy, nor do I think there's anything wrong with Nintendo's strategy of the way they make money, the way that Sony's making money. It's nice to see all three heavy hitters doing well with what it is they want to do. And you could skew and look at any number of headlines about, oh, this company's doing this, this company's doing that, this is successful, this is not. The nice thing is all of them are making money and doing well. And that's that's a positive thing for gamers. And we've got a lot to look forward to in this coming year, even before Series X. Number of different games coming out of all levels. And so we'll see how that goes. Game that did very well in the end of 2019 and a game that I absolutely love and that when I was forced to choose a game of the year, it oftentimes broke into my, my listings. Jedi Fallen Order. It was projected by EA that they would make 6 to 8 million units in sales, more or less. Uh, and it ended up selling more than that. And that is fantastic. A single-player, narrative-driven game uh, for gamers to check out in the Star Wars universe. It certainly seemed to surprise EA how much people were into that as opposed to their previous strategies with Battlefront 2 and Battlefront 1, and I'm excited by that. I think it's a very good thing, to say the least, because it took a long time before Battlefront 2 hit its stride, as I've talked about many times in the past few weeks. I am loving Battlefront 2. And it is fantastic now. It was certainly not fantastic at launch. It was, uh, I would argue, mediocre at best in a number of different ways. And I am absolutely having a blast with it at the moment. Now, here's the thing. The EA exclusive deal with Star Wars games is up in 2023. The question becomes, do we get a sequel to Fallen Order, a sequel to Battlefront and Battlefront 3 before that EA deal is done? And do we see that being a continued exclusive deal? Simply put, I do not think it is a continued exclusive deal. I think there's too much money to be made in other categories. But we cannot argue the fact that EA has recovered a lot of the branding in the past few years. Uh, The mobile games certainly seem to be making Disney and Star Wars quite a bit of money. Battlefront 3 before the end certainly seems possible. Fallen Order 2 or some sort of equivalent to that certainly seems possible. 
but I would imagine that what we see is a breakup of the exclusive idea. EA, you're no longer the exclusive publisher and game creator of Star Wars games, but we're not done with you. You've done a good job. We will see Battlefront 3 continued, created, supported, what have you. We'll see a sequel in the Fallen Order franchise and pitch us another idea, but also other studios, if you want to make Star Wars, let's see what you got and we'll entertain the idea. That's my expectation in 2023. Who knows if indeed it is correct. I do know that there's no way EA wants to give up on the Star Wars license prior to that time. So my expectation, giving Jedi Fallen Order surprising sales, is that we'll see at least another game from Respawn in the Star Wars universe before 2023. And I would imagine you see the announcement of Battlefront 3 uh, within this time period because they've got a lot. They've done a lot with Battlefront 2, but it's time to, to recoup a lot of that value and, and continue that. Also, let's get Cal Kestis into the Battlefront universe. That'd be kind of cool to see him uh, jumping in there. Why not? One of the other interesting things I checked out this past week was the Disintegration Beta. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Disintegration, it is from the co-creator of Halo, Marcus Leto. It's a team where they, they are creating a multiplayer shooter, at least in the beta version, version. You're piloting a grav cycle. There's RTS mechanics as you command allies about a map and try to move your NPCs around while you're taking on another team of three players. Uh, piloting your own grav cycle in a very Titanfall-esque style, but the controls do feel a bit like Halo. There are hero-style loadouts with each team that have different benefits. It is a difficult-to-describe but looks very cool beta that I encourage you to check out some videos. If you're you know checking this out at the right time, you might even be able to get into that open beta. But my friends and I checked out the closed beta portion, and a lot of promising things. It's certainly not ready. It felt like a beta should feel. It doesn't feel like the game's coming out next week and they're just kind of testing servers. It felt like they were truly testing the game. Uh, it's Disintegration from V1 Interactive. There's a lot to look at and look forward to in that realm, but there's not a lot to say about it just yet other than it's got a lot of potential. I am excited about it. This looks like a game designed for me, and we'll see what, what comes of it. Take that for what you will. One of the other cool stories, we talked to Steven Spawn last week, and then in the week following that interview, it came out that he and his group and a number of people he has worked with have developed the Freedom Wing, which is a add-on device to the Xbox Adaptive Controller works with it that allows people that are wheelchair-bound to control Xbox games from their wheelchair alone. That is incredible and hugely exciting for a number of people that might be gaming with disabilities. Moving on to listener topics, oh goodness gracious, I was hit with two rather good questions and one of them was easy, one of them was quite difficult. The first question comes from Todd Oxtra and he simply asks, what other improvements do you think the Series X controller will have? I'm glad we're getting the share button, that is the, the key there Todd, I uh, would imagine the share button is key to Xbox's future given that they are working to get on as many screens as possible and they want to have the Xbox brand streamed, clipped, screenshotted as much as humanly possible. I think that was a big boost for PlayStation and the Switch this past generation. So I'm glad to see we're having that. Improved triggers, of course, we know about that. One of the things that I love about the Elite controller specifically, and it's a shame it costs $180 to get to, but our back paddles. Those back paddles have absolutely changed the way I game. Remapping has been a wonderful inclusion for the Xbox world and ecosystem, something you can do very easily even if you don't have an Elite controller. But the back paddles have changed the ergonomics of how I hold a controller. And when I play with my standard Xbox controllers without the back paddles and without the Elite, uh, it feels a bit naked. It feels a bit strange. So I think back paddles would have been a huge improvement that I would have loved to see. It doesn't look like that's going to happen, though I've not 100% confirmed that. I'm like 99.9999% um, that there's no back paddles. I think PlayStation is even getting into it with their back added peripheral. I'm hearing very good things about that from Mr. Badbit and a number of other people. So I think back paddles was the big miss on the next gen for Xbox. I would anticipate and I'm guesstimating that PlayStation will have back paddles, but you never know. And you know, whatever I'm thinking right now could easily change a week from now and two days from now, a month from now, as we learn new information. But as far as improvements, build quality is always something you want to see. Uh, the triggers can certainly use work. Another feature of the Elite, I love that you can adjust how far in you have to pull it. Uh, that's an accessibility feature and also a gamification feature that improves how quickly I can react to things. Uh, as far as what I think will be in the new one, nothing more than what I've said. Those are the things I would have liked to see. I, I think we know a lot about the controller as it stands, given that everything's got to be forward compatible. But here's to learning more about it uh, in the coming months, that's for sure. Now, Mr. Moody wrote in with a, a question that is always flexible and always fluid. He wants to know what are the top five games in Game Pass right now for me. 
what are the games I look to right now in Game Pass as being the best? Ooh, goodness gracious. Best, favorite, top five, what have you. Lists are always fun and always fluid for me. It depends on my mood at any given time. And I absolutely cheated on this question, Mr. Moody, because it's fun to cheat on this type of thing. Uh, so I, I created two lists, of course. The heavy hitters, I chose Witcher 3, which I think is undeniably one of the best games ever created, period. And one of the best games, if not the best game, of this entire past generation. So Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is in Game Pass. The Master Chief Collection, as it stands now, is one of the best collections of video games that you can jump into uh, on Game Pass. You can check out a historical reference with a number of ways to look at where Halo has been, where it is now. I think that's fantastic. And I think we continue to add to it. I would expect Halo 5 to be added in there a bit after Halo Infinite's launch. But the Master Chief Collection is certainly in there. Forza Horizon 4, with its incredible game physics, it does a great job, better than, I would argue, Turn 10's efforts with Forza Motorsport, at allowing accessibility in the Forza universe, in the racing world. It, there's enough fine-tuning there for those who want something close to sim, but not quite, and enough relaxed racing in there that even the most casual fans, the dads of the world, the guys who only have an hour a week to play video games, can jump into Forza with their seasons, and just have a good time. So Forza Horizon 4, one of the best. I love that the Arkham games are all in there. I would say the Arkham experiences are all kind of there with the Arkham Collection, Arkham Knight. Those are all in Game Pass. And then all the Tomb Raider games from this past gen are in Game Pass. So I, the first top five list that I created for you in this question was Witcher 3, Master Chief Collection, Forza Horizon 4, Arkham, and Tomb Raider. Then I kind of picked some stuff that was a bit under the radar in a different top five list, and that's The Gardens Between, a fantastic, easy-to-play story. It takes two hours uh, where you're advancing and rewinding time to tell the story of two friends. It's beautiful. It's loving. It's heartwarming. Uh, I would really encourage The Gardens Between. It's an easy achievement experience if that's what you're into, but it's just a beautiful game. Ori in the Blind Forest is also in there, and I think we've talked about Ori many times as being one of the most beautiful artistic games that couples incredible gameplay in terms of platform. It's also very, very difficult, but I think well worth the experience, as is the game I chose after that, which is Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight included in Game Pass and a beautiful Metroidvania of a game that the combat is pixel-perfect and difficult. If you like that, you can put 100 hours into that game and not be done, which is very daunting to me. I did not finish that. I think I put 25, 30 hours in, uh, which was still more than I anticipated. I wanted like a 10-hour experience, and it got way more. But it was rewarding, and it was fun, and that world is incredible. So Hollow Knight, uh, and then World War Z, fantastic horde zombie shooter that, that will surprise you for sure if you have not played World War Z. I would encourage that. I know I've talked about that many times on this show. And lastly, Outer Wilds. So many people talking about Outer Wilds as being an incredible experience, one that surprises so many others. The unfortunate naming conventions discussed many a time. But Outer Wilds, another top five game. So in my second list of just kind of under-the-radar games, Gardens Between, or in the Blind Forest, Hollow Knight, World War Z, Outer Wilds. All great experiences. There's many more, so many honorable mentions, and it's because it's my show, I can I feel free to to say those different things, but I'm looking through the list. I'm looking at A Plague's Tale. I'm looking at Ukulele. I'm looking at Astroneer, Surviving Mars. Oh my goodness, Lonely Mountains Downhill and Dead Cells are in there. I mean, every month I feel like we're just getting something more. The Metro games, the Gears games, Mutant, uh, Mutant Year Zero, Road to Eden, incredible strategy game. It's just lovely to go in and look each month, each week, and see what's been added, taken away. There's a number of kids' games that are worth it. The Lego games are in there. Creature in the Well, we've talked about that before. It's just a one... I don't know how anybody denies the, the power of Game Pass, for what you will. But that's it for me, guys. Not a, not a whole lot to talk about in the news verse, and sometimes that's wonderful because it allows us to catch up on what we're doing and what it is we are playing. I'm still wrapping up Journey to the Savage Planet and still enjoying Battlefront, as I mentioned. Uh, and I'm really excited for Zombie Army 4 and Darksiders Genesis. This is, these are the type of months where I love to get in a lot of those sevens and, and play those games that I'm so excited for. Rebellion makes fun games with that x-ray camera, and I love killing zombies in any number of video games throughout whatever it is, Left 4 Dead, World War Z, so many others. So I'm excited for Zombie Army 4, excited to play that for sure. And beyond that, that's pretty much it, guys. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Please do enjoy the interview with Christian Cooper. Learn as much as you can about PR and how we communicate with companies on varying degrees. Reach out to Christian Cooper. Reach out to SteelSeries on Twitter. Let them know you heard the interview. Be careful. I will tell you this. I am terrified, terrified that I'm going to get roasted by the SteelSeries Twitter handle. I'm excited for it, too. Like, I'm wondering if it's going to happen because they are hilarious. If you don't follow SteelSeries on Twitter, 
it is a joy to watch as they troll and have good content. They it'll, Stuff will make you laugh. Uh, I would argue they and the Xbox Game Pass Twitter handle are both comedically some of the best in the gaming verse to check out. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, who knows? Do I want their attention? I have not decided yet. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll check that out. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy the interview. Take care, guys. All right, we are very fortunate this week to welcome Christian Cooper from Marketing and Press Relations from the Elite Peripheral Makers Steel Series. Christian, thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much for having me, Luke. Excited to uh, chat with you today. Me too, man. I have been looking forward to this one, and we have quite a few topics to get to. Some about Steel Series, some about working in PR, uh, in the hardware side of things. Before we get to them, would you not let us know a bit about yourself and what your role is at Steel Series? Sure, sure. So uh, first, I got to say, you know, I like I like you throwing the the adjective elite in there. That's uh, mm-hmm. v- very nice. I appreciate the love. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's Steel Series. So I my title actually recently changed a little bit. Um, I was formerly uh, just the PR manager over at Steel Series. I'm now the uh, global marketing communications uh, manager over at Steel Series. So uh, that's basically a fancy long title to say that I handle all the PR stuff, all the media relations stuff. <clears throat> also work a little bit on the influencer side with some of our uh, tech YouTubers. But then I also do some other things like I work on some of our product messaging, which means like, how do we talk about our products? How do we describe them for our website, for press, uh, for some of our other materials, for Amazon, for Best Buy, some of our retailers, uh, specifically on the audio side. Uh, and then I'll occasionally help out with some other things like some of our advertisements and and things like that. So basically, if it has to do with uh, Steel Series communicating to uh, anybody, whether it be consumer or internal or some of our investors, I uh, play some kind of role in it uh, on a global level. Because uh, one of the things I got to do this year was uh, I got I got to go to Gamescom and help out our European team over there, do some really cool stuff with our new Apex Pro keyboard and our Sensei 10 mouse that just launched this past year. Uh, and I also got to go to Taiwan for Computex, which is where we launched Apex Pro for uh, North America and stuff. So really, really cool. I uh, got to do a lot of fun traveling. But yeah, if it comes to... Uh, Global communications for Steel Series. I'm probably doing some part of it. <laughs> Goodness gracious, you wear quite a few hats over there, and of course, you mentioned keyboards, mice. Steel Series does quite a few peripherals, and there's a reason I mentioned Elite because I mean it's it's legitimately impressive stuff. I had the Arctis 9X, impressive stuff. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, we um we try to make really really good stuff. Hopefully delights a lot of people and you know of course I'm the PR guy so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that but uh, mm-hmm. I genuinely think that we make some really really high quality gear and you know it, it's thankfully made my job very easy to promote this stuff because it's not like I'm promoting crap <laughs> I, I don't have mm-hmm. to put makeup on a pig uh, I get to promote gear that I use every day that I personally love and that um I get to see the passion that uh, our product managers get to put into this product uh, these products and get to try to tell that story to journalists and, you know, eventually to our consumers. So it's really cool. And I'm very thankful to be working for a company that actually puts quality at the forefront instead of making me do all the work to make an ugly product look really, really good. <laughs> yeah. It's something that PR people can be called on at various times, but uh, I got to say it's impressive stuff. Now tell me before we get to the hardware and, and the peripherals, what motivated you to get into public relations and then kind of more specifically the gaming industry side of that? Yeah, so they actually kind of went uh, hand in hand. So I've been watching E3 probably since I think my first one I watched was like 2011. Uh, And growing up, that was like Holy Week for me. Uh, During the summer, my parents knew like, don't bug me, don't plan vacations. Like I for three days, I am watching at the time at the first one I watched, it was still on Spike TV, um, Mm -hmm. all the E3 coverage. So I was like, don't mess with me. That is my uh, that is my holy week. Um, and so I was watching those and I remember seeing, you know, the industry leads, um, the Phil Spencers of the world. But I mean, that was kind of prior to Phil Spencer and mm-hmm. um, the Reggie fils maze of the world to get up on stage and uh, get people hype and do the big unveils and all that stuff. And uh, my mom, who actually graduated with a degree uh, in PR, um, I-, I asked her because I-, I saw these guys on stage. I was like, that looks like the coolest job. What job is that? And she's like, honey, that is that's PR is, is, you know, putting these words together, communicating and getting people excited about the products that you make. So, um, I loved gaming for, for a long time. My, my goal was to hopefully one, one day be one of those guys up on the stage that presented the stuff. So, uh, I started, uh, pursuing PR. I went to the university of Florida. I'm a big Gator. So did PR there. Uh, and then right out of college, uh, I actually got a job with, um, Xbox's PR firm out in San Francisco. So, uh, uh, worked for Xbox for a little bit, but realized 
living in San Francisco on an entry-level PR salary was not mm. super feasible. So, sure. <laughs> so I decided to move back. My wife, or my uh, now wife, who I was dating at the time, also had a great job uh, that she planted a church down here in Fort Lauderdale. And so uh, I moved back here, uh, worked at a smaller PR agency, uh, and then eventually moved to a tech uh, PR firm. Uh, where is that? That's actually where I first started working for Steel Series. I also worked for some brands like MSI. Um, I make computers and laptops and stuff. AOC, Philips. So they make some great gaming monitors. <clears throat> and then I also worked for esports uh, team, uh, Team Rogue. So I uh, got some great experience there. And then eventually Steel Series uh, liked me enough uh, that they wanted to steal me and bring me in house. So uh, I've technically been working for Steel Series for about three and a half years, uh, but only one of them has actually been internally at the company. So uh, yeah, so PR has just really always been a part of my life. I've uh, always been somebody whose biggest priority in life has been relationships and and pouring into people and encouraging people and and just getting to enjoy the the company of others so uh that thankfully is you know 90 percent of what i do in pr is is uh talking to folks like you seeing you guys at e3 um i'll go to new york a lot and hang out with some of my uh, buddies in the tech and gaming uh, publication space so uh really i mean that's my favorite part of the job is is the relationships that i've gotten to build uh over the past couple of years so I love Steel Series. Been with them for a while now, and yeah, we have a lot of exciting stuff. And definitely, you know, if you're if you're somebody who loves relationships and and you know loves spending time with people and also <clears throat> promoting products that you're passionate about, definitely would recommend PR for sure. Goodness, man, you you have again. I say you've worn a lot of hats and, and traveled around and seen a number of different things. I, obviously, working through Xbox and then uh, all the way through to Steel Series, you had to have seen the way public relations changed in the gamerverse the way that companies communicated to consumers to journalists to outlets probably i guess the rise of influencers i hear that that phrase passed around uh how do you or steel series adjust messaging to accommodate with those changes yeah well i think you gotta have it used to be where for the most part, from a PR perspective, almost all you did was what we call traditional PR, which is dealing with um, just traditional media publications. So that's the tech radars of the world. That's the business insiders. That's the like, you know, bread and butter, butter traditional media outlets. Um, like like and then print we, media? Is that what you're Yeah, like print media, to? online okay. media, stuff like that. Okay. And then we saw this, this change over this past decade, obviously with the rise of influencers, where all of a sudden they became complementary to the the outreach you're already doing because so like for me obviously with our products reviews and things like that are really important to us getting awards from tech radars and tom's hardwares and ign's uh those are really important to us so they're all part of what i would call the purchasing decision experience where if somebody's considering buying a headset they're obviously going to you know probably look for reviews and stuff. So having those are really important. But then it's also important to hear people's firsthand experience with the influencers where it's a little bit less structured. And generally, you consider influencers a lot more trustworthy because these are personalities that you like, that you trust, that you come, you know, first and foremost, you know, they might do tech reviews or gaming content or whatever. But really what you're coming for is the entertainment value of that person's personality and what they bring to the table. So generally, you know, working with influencers is great because you get to kind of have that almost word of mouth recommendation from an influencer that, um, of course, in a lot of these situations, the influencers are paid or, or given product for free, but it, it kind of gives you a little bit more credibility uh, and authenticity with their audiences where, you know, traditional media doesn't always give you that. It gives you the credibility of, hey, if, if a Forbes or an IGN recommends this product, then it's got to be pretty good. But the uh, hearing it from an influencer almost makes you feel like you're hearing it from a friend or somebody that you really trust. And then you know, you might go online and look at some of the more hardcore critical reviews to hopefully back up the the goodwill that your favorite influencers uh, provided about the product as well. So it's definitely, it's a, it's a good mix of both. And at SteelSeries, we actually have a separate team that is totally dedicated to influencers, especially on the esports and uh, Twitch side. So like I mentioned, I do some of all of our traditional online media relations uh, and some of our like tech YouTuber relations, but we have a whole other dedicated team of about four to five people that just work with our esports teams, just work with some of our streamers and growing those programs because we, you know, we sponsor thousands and thousands of streamers across Twitch and, and other platforms. So it's definitely, I mean, it's it's something that's really important to us. And I know in the long run has has provided a really good 
uh, return on investment on, uh, and it's probably the highest performing of all of our marketing functions is, uh, is our influencer relations. So really, really important. And I think um, to survive in the competitive landscape of 2020, it's something that you have to do really well. And again, it all comes down to relationships. You have to have great relationships with some of these influencers and content creators that that you know that one, they trust your product and, and two, you can trust them to hopefully represent your brand in an authentic way um, and in a way that overall just just reflects on your brand really well as well. That's, that's so interesting because I'm thinking about the first time I heard of Steel Series and it was through influencers. It was through content creators, not necessarily an ad. And those came, of course, uh, as you start to research. Now, we're in a time where influencers, content creators, social media, so easily accessible. And some of those conversations are played out in front of an audience, you know, by way of Twitter or Instagram and the like. I would imagine when you when you deal with and work with content creators there on some level has to be a formula for outreach you know reaching a certain amount of people from an influencer but also a subjective level to it i mean is there a way that you guys go and say hey this content creator might justify this amount of attention versus another you talked about free product or sponsorships there's got to be two elements in and a quantifiable and just a subjective element to it sure so i mean obviously like <clears throat> metrics are really, really important. Um, it also helps us justify some of the money that we spend to our CEO, but um, also a lot of it's kind of objective where you got to just look at uh, at the the product that they're putting out there and being like, is this great content? Is this something that we want to be a part of? And, and I think one thing that we've really learned over the past couple of years is it's not always about getting the ninjas of the world to mm-hmm. throw on a SteelSeries headset. It's kind of a, a corny marketing term, but what's really important nowadays is, are these quote unquote, micro influencers that, mm-hmm. um, you know, they don't have the numbers of a ninja, but their communities are wildly engaged where, you know, they might only have five, 10,000 people that, you know, maybe follow them um, across all platforms, but people are talking to them on Twitter all the time. Their, their Twitch chat is, is constantly blowing up. They're doing all these great things. They're really engaged with their community. So I can't speak too much to the nitty gritty of, of how we, uh, pick and choose some of our influencers because that's a little bit more on our uh, esport influencer team but really uh, so much of it is not just about the the hard numbers and does this person have so many million followers on twitter or twitch or whatever um it's really you know a big part of what we're looking for is is the community because that's really what gaming's all about it doesn't really matter what what kind of numbers you have but are are you creating a a really unique environment where people are engaging with you, engaging with the content, having conversations, building relationships with people. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite content creators are the uh, the folks over at Kind of Funny. Um, yes, and they make, goodness they gracious, make, yes. Their community is so, so cool. They're, they're, kind of bunny, they're kind of funny best friends that they put together. It's really, really cool. And, and I think it's really unique. And, and I think it's something that you only could ever find in the gaming community is all these people rallying around different games, different platforms, uh, different, you know, different peripheral manufacturers even. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's really cool. And, and I think, again, at the end of the day, I think it's more about the community and the engagement aspect than it is about raw numbers and statistics. Those, those help, but you know, again, I think it's all about uh, engagement and community for sure. That's incredible. It's, it's funny you mentioned, kind of funny, because in the same day that I met you personally, I bumped into Snowbike Mike, who is a wonderful ambassador for kind of oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, community and to this day I still get to chat with him you, you know on the on the smaller side and that's one of the examples of the more positive and incredible relationships that you do get to build but I would yeah. imagine uh, from time to time in PR striking the right tone can be difficult when when people can get so easily hostile on the internet or on the, the social sure. medias how do you guys navigate that line which must be difficult yeah I mean one of the other unique things about gaming and really any kind of fandom communities is, is you know, people can get very um, passionate about what they think is right and, and, and their opinions. So, um, you know, sometimes the gaming uh, community can get hostile very quickly, but I think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's important at the end of the day, like, I am someone who's always been a very transparent communicator about anything, even like unprofessionally, professionally, um, what you see is what you get with me. So um, I always try to bring that to the the companies and the organizations that I am a part of communicating for. Um, mm-hmm. And so with, for SteelSeries, obviously, you know, being at a, at a, you know, company, you can't exactly be super transparent at times about uh, different products and, and, and things like that. But I think, one thing I've always tried to do is just is just be transparent about things. If if something goes really really wrong or you screw up in a big way and it makes a lot of people angry, just you know own up to it. 
talk mm-hmm. about it, even you know, talk about the decision process, like what made you go that route? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, you just did this thing and you made a terrible mistake. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, when companies make decisions, even if you know if there is negative back- backlash, a lot of thought went into that decision, um, and they made the decision to to make one decision or another or get involved with something or not get involved with something uh, for a specific reason. And there's normally a lot of uh, people at a company slaving over some of these decisions thinking about, is this the right call? Is this the right call? And sometimes it doesn't always uh, go the way you plan. So uh, own up to it and explain the the thought process behind some of these decisions. And, and I think if you can be real and also, you know, at the end of the day, show that there are real people working at these companies. Our, our marketing team is a really small team. Um, we have what we, what we call the core four um, of our marketing team. And those are like me, uh, the PR guy, our social lead, uh, our blog lead and our email lead. We're kind of like the core four that's driving our little marketing team, but it's, it's really the four of us uh, plus some of our, our managers and, and some other extended staff, but you know, we're a small company. So I, I think, you know, doing whatever you can to show like, hey, you know, on the other side of this, you know, corporation where a lot of people think it's, you know, just about making money. And of course, we're a company. That's what it's about. But we're also we're all about making gamers lives better and, and helping them have better experiences. Uh, and our whole team really feels that way. So, you know, we, we definitely take it personally when, you know, people go to uh, Twitter or to, to Reddit and, and bash us or bash our products or bash how we market stuff, because, you know, there are a lot of people that work really, really hard on that stuff. So I think I think if you can be transparent and then also try to show the human side of it, you hope that people won't be as hostile when they, you know, remember there are real humans on the other side of the Internet that are reading what you say uh, and uh, and are taking it very personally. So uh, I, I think it's a balance. And I think um, although there is a lot of, uh, you know, darkness in the uh, the gaming communities sometimes there is so much good going on with you just you know having Steve from Able Gamers on uh, this past week like there's so many great things going on for you know when I was a part of Team Rogue Dr. I was doing a lot of stuff with Dr. Lupo who raises millions and millions of dollars for St. Jude every right. year um, so there's so much good going on in the game community and I hate that sometimes you know, it gets overshadowed by some of the bad. Even, you know, you and I were just talking about Star Wars before we get jumped on the call. Even, you know, Star Wars fandom can be uh, pretty toxic and hectic at times. So I, th- I think, you know, if we just remember, hey, you know, this is something that we all enjoy. And, of course, we all want different things at times. But, you know, it all the things that we enjoy about the gaming industry are being driven forward by, you know, other humans on the other side of these companies that are, are trying to make great products. Nobody puts out a product and, and it's like, well, this is going to be terrible. And we want it to be terrible and we've designed it to be terrible. It's like, no, people worked really hard on this. And, you know, sometimes the execution isn't there or the idea isn't there. And so it doesn't turn out well, but it's not for lack of, uh, of trying. That's for sure. Well, let's let's switch to some of those products and some of the things that Steel Series creates via its peripherals. I mean, headsets, keyboards. Talk to me. What are they? What, what's Steel Series the specialists of? Sure. So, I mean, I think the big thing everybody knows us for now is our Arctis line of headsets. Um, they've done really, really well for us. Our big, our big thing that's kind of set us apart is our we're a Danish company, uh, so we have this idea of of Danish design, where it's mm-hmm. it's kind of elegant simplicity. Whereas you know we were founded in 2001, so we actually have a lot of industry firsts. Where uh, we made the first like gaming mouse pad, we actually made the first mechanical keyboard specifically designed for gaming. Uh, we actually made the first gaming headset with like a like a flip up mic or a retractable mic because mm-hmm. early on in the early 2000s people were using like telemarketer headphones for uh, mm-hmm. for gaming right. so we actually like we've been in the in the game for a long time but we've watched you know a lot of these gaming peripherals are kind of gaudy and loud and um, you'd be really embarrassed to wear them outside of the house uh, on a plane or if you commute like it's kind of embarrassing to sometimes wear a gaming headset or you might need a a gaming headset and a headset for music because music normally sounds pretty terrible on a gaming headset. So our our kind of ID, our product design is like, what if we made products that looked really, really beautiful that, you know, a gamer can still use and feel proud of and be like, yes, this is a gaming product. We've crammed some RGB in it, into it, but at the end of the day, still, you know, could blend into a crowd. And so like, even, you know, I wear my, my uh, Arctis Pro Wireless every time I travel, and I don't feel like super stupid wearing it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas I know, uh, I know I've seen other people wear some other gaming headsets, and and they do like a little bit. I mean, some of them look like you're wearing a transformer on your head. They're really, really big and crazy. But mm-hmm. um, we kind of stick with like an understated design for all of our products, and I think that's kind of what sets us apart. And then again, you know, this idea of um, you know the Arctis line when we came out with it in 2016, it was you know, what if you didn't need a headset for gaming and a headset for music? You could just have one headset that you could use for both. Because, I mean, a lot of gamers don't have the money to 
here, I'll buy a $150 wireless headset. And then, oh crap, I also need to spend, you know, $200 to buy a nice pair of like uh, Sony uh, noise canceling headphones because mm -hmm. my gaming headphones are just terrible for music or don't have Bluetooth or something. What if you just had one headset that you kind of kind of do it all with. So um, I think most people would know us for our, our, our headsets because they've done a really well for us over the past couple of years. But uh, we made a cool keyboard this past year uh, that you can actually change the distance of like when a key registers a press. We use these like cool magnetic switches. And then uh, we also, I think our other most famous product is our uh, Sensei mouse, which uh, was like the esports mouse for like all the early 2000s and, and on. It's one of the most comfortable shapes and stuff. So people love that. And then we actually just reinvented it for uh, its 10th anniversary this past year. So, so yeah, yeah. Just uh, we, we make some, some good stuff in my opinion. I think they're, they're really great and look sharp and uh, excited to see what uh, 2020 and 2021 has in store. I think we have some really exciting stuff in the pipeline as, as uh, next gen is right around the corner. So uh, it should be really exciting. It is, it's very cool to hear and it's funny because my brain's clicking back to when you're talking about this keyboard and customizing how how much kind of input you need to have for those for like the button presses and accessibility is the name of the game right now it's, it's something that we're all talking about you mentioned Steve totally. last, Steve's interview last week the elite controller the adaptive controller I know Logitech's getting in on on finding ways to help with accessibility even button mapping on dashboards uh, how does how steel series kind of approaching that aspect with with R&D or just uh, it's customization options along with kind of beautiful aesthetic. Yeah, well, I think as much as I'd love to say that, I think, you know, w I think we could do a lot better in terms of making products um, that are, you know, good for um, for folks with disabilities and on that accessibility side. But um, on, our, on our keyboards and our, our mice, you can remap any of the buttons to do anything. So I remember in, in your last interview, Steve was talking about playing Warcraft with one hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, right. I, you know, we do have mice with a bunch of buttons on it that you can remap to all kinds of stuff. So, sure. you know, that could be possible. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think that as Xbox has really been the one leading the charge into making gaming accessible for everybody i think you're going to see more and more peripheral manufacturers like us and and some of the other guys uh, continue to ideate on what does that look like to build peripherals for anybody to use even like um i was playing around i just got the elite uh controller too i was looking through the uh accessories app and you can do that uh that uh, i can't remember that what the settings called but like the handoff where it's like one person can play with one half of the controller and then you can right. like set it up to sync with somebody else's controller. So um, you can sit there and play together, but use two different controllers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's going to be all kinds of stuff that's, uh, that's going to be really cool to, to see, you know, people and, bring gaming to more people. Uh, so I'm excited to see what that turns out to be. And you guys, I mean, you create hardware that, that works on multiple devices. If, if anyone goes to your website, they're going to see everything from, from mobile you know, things that work on mobile on some level. PC, of course, being, I think, the predominant aspect, but also uh, Switch console space, Switch, PC, PS4, Xbox. How does the forward compatibility conversation factor into development? The idea that hardware is going to work from one device to the next in families of devices, does that does that help hurt? How does that work when you're, when you're SteelSeries making peripherals? Sure, sure. I mean, that's always something that we're thinking about. And you know, of course, we're already having conversations with uh, some folks about what those uh, next generation looks like. And I know Microsoft's already announced that um, all existing Xbox accessories are going to work with next gen. So, um, so thankfully, that's great because you know we're very much of the approach that we still want people to be able to use their uh, their SteelSeries products regardless of, of mm -hmm. what platform they're on. Of course, we make some some of our products uh, specifically for for some platforms rather than mm -hmm. others. But um, yeah, I mean, we're definitely having that next gen conversation you know some of it is still uh, still cloudy because i think some of you know playstation and xbox are still figuring out exactly what their strategy is and um they're you know trickling out information to us about uh you know what next gen might look like and you know of course mm -hmm. i can't speak too deeply on on what we have planned but sure um you know we always we always hope that there's going to be that forward compatibility <laughs> and thankfully right. you know that's some people would argue that's the glory of uh pc master race right is that uh mm -hmm. <laughs> you're always going to have forward compatibility but i think as as uh as the generations continue to blur i think we're going to see more and more cross-generational compatibility and i'm personally hoping that we see more more of a platform agnostic approach where you know, you can play on PlayStation or play on Xbox and 
have similar experiences. So I, I really would love if you could save across devices and stuff. So I, I think I, I'm not overly concerned about how uh, future compatibility is looking like, because at least from what it sounds like, everything should be uh, in the clear, I think. It does feel like it's going that way, at least from the outside looking in on, on my perspective. Now, the PC console space, that seems to be blended more than ever. They're almost becoming synonymous in a number of ways. And on the Xbox side, of course, we see the Game Pass Ultimate where, you know, you're going to have cross-save, cross-gen stuff. You're going to have cloud connections and a number of ways to play with players from different devices. Does that work in a peripheral manufacturer's favor? Does that that help you, hurt you? How, how does that bridge conversation get discussed at Seal Series? Yeah, well, I think I think while the line is blurring, I think you still have two very distinct audiences between console and PC. Mm-hmm. Just because you, you have the people that are never going to want to forsake their mouse and keyboard, uh, mm-hmm. and I think I think a lot of console players would would say the same thing. I grew up being a console player and then I started working for these brands like MSI and SteelSeries. I was like, okay, maybe I should build my own computer so I can actually be able to talk about some of this stuff. And it took me forever to get used to mouse and keyboard because I was so used to, to the controller layout. So I think I think there will always be people that that choose a side. And so I think you're going to need to always be developing for both of those groups. And, and at the end of the day, people should be able to pick whatever platform they want to play on and, and stick with that. So I think, I think while... The, they're blurring a little bit, especially with Microsoft, you know, kind of pushing for that. And I, I think, you know, there's always going to be a market for a specific like Xbox headset, PlayStation headset, PC headset. And, and a lot of that also, you know, just just helps with retailers, too. So, you know, a lot of like we introduced our our Arctis one headset, but we had it one that was in a blue box in the PlayStation aisle, one that was in a green box for the Xbox aisle um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So sometimes, um, you know, manufacturers will make different SKUs uh, to help consumers at retail that if you have a mom who's doing Christmas shopping, wandering through Best Buy, she can figure out, oh, okay, uh, my son needs an Xbox headset. I'm going to grab this one because it's got the mm-hmm. green logo or whatever. So um, I, th- I think there will always be a space for individual platform accessories. But obviously, you know, if you can have one headset that you can use on all devices, that's the goal, right? So, like, that's one thing that has been big for our, um, our Arctis Pro Wireless is it uses this little transmitter box that mm-hmm. um, you can connect to your PC via USB, but it also has a optical in port. So if you have a PlayStation or an Xbox, you can connect to it through optical, and then it's got an aug- auxiliary port. So, like, I have that plugged into one of my monitors that has my switch on it, and it goes in there so I can, like, just switch through devices uh, without having to switch around cords or, you know, take off my PC headset and put on my switch headset. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the goal is, because also, you know, we don't want, as much as we would love three separate sales from one customer, we don't necessarily want to make somebody go out and, and spend $500 on three different headsets for all their devices. I think I think the goal would always to be, you know, what if we could make one headset to rule them all that worked on all your devices, whether it was Switch, PC, you know, Stadia, or, you know, whatever it be, may be. That is encouraging and heartwarming to hear, I suppose, on a number of levels. Now, we have quite a few listener questions because you are a very awesome. popular man, good sir. <laughs> Before we get to those, though, will you tell me just a bit about or or tease a little bit about maybe what SteelSeries is working on, talk esports, because you guys have your toe in quite a different uh, quite a different set of number of, of communities there. Yeah, well, I'm actually, we're really, really excited about our esports involvement. So one of the things that we like to say around the company, which we do actually have the numbers to back it up, is is more esports teams, or our esports teams, have won the most prize money out of any other brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so just this past year, we had we just sponsored Team OG. They won this year's international. We sponsored FaZe, who just won uh, you know a big CS:GO tournament over in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our esports teams and athletes actually won over two hundred and two hundred and fifty-four million dollars surprise money this year. So we can easily say that our teams this year for sure uh, won the most prize money using Steel Series gear, which is really really cool, and that's something we're really proud of because that 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 was our heart and soul. We you know we were founded in. Copenhagen, you know, we, that was like one of the, you know, the Nordics were like the birthplace of like some of the original land parties and, um, and people playing in internet cafes and stuff and using, you know, the, the rolling ball mice and, and stuff like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we were there from the beginning and esports is really what put us on the map and, uh, and that will always be the backbone of our company. So to, to be able to say that our product supported some of the, uh, the premier athletes and teams in the world is, uh, is really, really cool. 
<laughs> that that is really cool. Anything that we should be looking for on the Steel Series side that you're able to talk about just yet? Or are the things still hush? Not not quite yet. Um we actually so we just uh this past week uh put out a line of uh entry level gear, which we're actually really excited about. Uh we put out the Rival Three, which is mm-hmm. a thirty dollar gaming mouse. Uh the kind of the idea for these products was like um, you know, we know not everybody has $200 to drop on a keyboard or, you know, $100 to drop on a mouse. So it's like, what if we could make gear that, like, for the kid or the young adult that's, like, still using their, like, parents' office peripherals mm-hmm. to play video games? What if we could actually make stuff that was really cool, really affordable, and also performed to what you'd expect a Steel Series peripheral to perform at? So the Rival 3 is that this $30 mouse uh, that has, like, some really great RGB lighting on it. We made a brand new sensor just for it. And then we also released a $49 keyboard, the Apex 3, and a $99 keyboard, the Apex 5. So both, you know, relatively inexpensive keyboards for for keyboards, mm-hmm. but uh, both, I think, uh, they both look just like our Apex 7 and our Apex Pro. Uh, mm-hmm. So we tried to kind of keep the DNA of our really premium products, but cut away in some areas that can make them a little bit more affordable to the average gamer. That's awesome, man. It's awesome. Particularly, again, I go back to, for me, someone who is a, a console gamer and who speaks layman when it comes to, like, PC type stuff, for me, this is exciting because it helps me bridge the gap. You know, I'm not prepared for the rate my setup conversations, but I yeah. do have a Steel Series mouse uh, that you recommended uh, something like a year ago or so, and it has served me very well. So for me, that's that's wonderful to hear. And it helps scale the process as I want to build. And so I appreciate that aspect. Yeah, well, it, it's like if you wanted to dip your toe into like what a gaming setup might look like, it, it's a tough pill to swallow if you want all the best of the best stuff because, you know, I don't know if you have $300 to drop on a headset or $200 to drop on a keyboard or 100 on a mouse. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody has that kind of money. So it's it's nice to be able to, um, you know, bring gaming hardware uh, that looks cool. It's got the RGB, you know, all the things you'd expect from gaming hardware, but um, at a price that the average Joe can, can probably afford. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm keeping you all day here, but I got, I've got so many things we must ask you from, from the listeners who are so yeah, excited. One of the common questions that came from at least three different people was about that small team you mentioned, that small Steel Series social media team. They want to know which guy's cooler, the Twitter guy, the Instagram guy, you, who's operating these things? Because they are a joy and a hilarity <laughs> to follow. I, I, uh, my personal favorite is Twitter guy. Um, mm-hmm. He, I think he's superior to instagram guy it's mm-hmm. funny how that's just kind of become a meme in mm-hmm. our uh, you know speaking about communities in the steel series community that's very much become a meme and i love it um but our our social guy is just is absolutely hilarious he's a really quirky guy he's one of those um rare creative minds that was just made for content and and social media because he just he just always thinks of something new and something different and, and just something that to the average person's like, what the heck are you thinking? But okay, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, so he he he's absolutely he's probably been one of the best additions uh, to our team in a long time. So definitely a big fan of him. If you want more of his good content, uh, I believe he's on Twitter at Koob K O O B. That's his last mm-hmm. name. Definitely would recommend following him. He's awesome. Now I'll tell you, in interviewing you, I am simultaneously excited and terrified uh, that this man might roast me. Uh, here on the social media, that is always that is always a a chance with him, and it's always a threat. So uh, so be prepared. But it, it's always, well, mostly out of uh, <laughs> out of love. <laughs> right, right. Well, that is that is a fun, and that, it's funny that that conversation just kept coming up. Uh, this question comes from Chris Berto, someone who absolutely he streams and he talks about your products uh, all the time. He threw a couple your way. He wanted to know it, what your advice was about getting into the PR industry and then what kind of feedback do, do you, once you're in there from a marketing and PR standpoint, what kind of feedback do you look forward to from maybe your influencers, people that are reviewing, testing out your products? Because you kind of want more than just glowing reviews. Totally, totally. So on the first question, getting into PR, I think, and it's really kind of the traditional route is to start at an agency and then move into um, a internal company role. So uh, the agency, although a lot of agencies are very much churn and burn, you're you're working really hard, you're working crazy hours. You're, I mean, while I was at the the uh, tech and gaming agency, I was working 
eight clients at a time. Um, so now, you know, SteelSeries gets all my undivided attention, which is nice. But, um, you know, it teaches you to work on deadlines. It gives you a lot of great experience. You get a lot of hands-on time. You're really responsible for a lot of things. Um, and, and so I, and I, if I, I can interrupt, what do you, what kind of things are you responsible for? Cause I'm ignorant to that a bit. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So, um, I mean, really, it's, you know, it depends on the agency that you go to, but for the most part, you're going to be responsible for doing the press release writing, uh, the mm -hmm. media outreach, the pitching, um, you know, especially early on in your career, you don't have a lot of the established relationships with, uh, with media. So, uh, early on in career, your career, you have to work really hard to get people to respond to emails, to, um, you know, pitch a product that people might not know about from a brand people might not know about. So um, there, it, it'll really teach you and challenge you in a lot of ways that um, although I could not be happier I'm out of agency life, it's still, I think, an important uh, process for every PR pro to go through because then when you move internally, uh, it's just it's so much nicer because it's more laid back. Uh, you know, your company is the only company you're worried about. You don't have to split your attention between, uh, you know, seven or eight different clients. Um, and then, you know, and then you've learned so much from your agency experience that you're pretty much able to tackle anything, uh, that your internal company might need. So I would definitely, I definitely probably recommend doing at least some kind of agency experience, uh, beforehand and then mm -hmm. looking to go internal at a company or if, if, you know, if that's not the case, uh, then start small. You know, if you're looking to get involved with tech and gaming PR, uh, there are so many startups and so many indie devs and all kinds of things. So, um, you know, just look on job sites, reach out to people on LinkedIn. And if, you know, there's opportunities, start small or start at an agency. I think that's that's definitely what I would recommend. And then on the uh, on the review side, um, honestly, I mean, we, we're always just looking for honest feedback. Like just because, uh, you know, with with media I work with or with influencers like you know just because I send you a free product to review doesn't mean I want you just to to BS at me and tell me all all the great things and that there's not a single thing wrong like if you experience something that is not great we want to know because we're we're perfectionists at heart for our our mouse pad um, mm -hmm. which a lot of people use because it's just kind of a black basic mouse pad with our logo on it um, I, not a lot of people knows it know this but we actually went through I believe it was 763 cloth samples before we we decided on the final product for our mouse pads. Like that's how like we like crazy we are about making sure that it's good. And and we actually tested that cloth with um, all of our esports athletes. So it took us a long time to decide on just like the damn fabric for our, our mouse pads. So I think 763. It's it was something like it's in the 700s. It was crazy. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Um. So like I mean that's just like who we are so so we don't want you to just puff us up and be like oh steel series products are the best because um you know i very much am a believer in like if you're not always innovating then you're moving backwards so um you know i don't want us to get to a point where it's like oh our products are perfect we don't need to do anything else um mm -hmm. and then you know we start losing ground to another company that's doing things better than us and and we sat on our laurels and let people uh overtake some of the the great products we've made so we're always just honestly looking for honest feedback if you love it and genuinely don't see anything wrong with it great but if uh, you know if you're having issues we, we want to know about it so we can hopefully avoid it in the future mm -hmm. and i would on a personal level i'd hope that anybody that does that and i'm speaking to my audience like talk, think about that tone conversation people on the other <laughs> side there because it is important totally. I yeah i mean honestly we have um in, in our company again we're small we have i think less than I think we have between 150, 200 employees worldwide. So we're not a huge company. And so um, our keyboard manufacturing is led by one guy. Um, our audio line is led by two guys and our, our mice are led by one guy. So it's like the, these four guys are, are the, uh, and then, and, and our chief technical officer are the, are the brain trust behind our products and they just pour their hearts and souls into these things. So, um, so I, I love them. They're they're super passionate about their products, but definitely you know good tone conversation because they they read every Reddit thread, um, they read almost every tweet regarding uh, their products because they really they you know they are perfectionists at heart too. So uh, definitely you know tone tone is good. Keep 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 it light, but you can keep it honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello, Twitter guy. You are cool. <laughs> and I think you're neat. Yep. Um, so this uh, next question I have to ask uh, comes from Tim Off, and he wants to know what's the most difficult kind of conversation you've ever had to deal with in the social media channels, and perhaps that is again on tone. Yeah, I think um, it's not something I can speak too much on. I, although you know, being on the PR side, I always I'm always on our Twitter and and Reddit looking at 
what people are saying and if we need to respond. Um, that's more of a social guy thing, uh, and I'll mm-hmm. help them respond if I think something is is really really bad or, or something. Sure. But um, name of the game in PR, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, in terms of the toughest, I mean, thankfully, you know, we haven't had to 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 deal with too much stuff. But you know, there's always somebody that uh, you know complains about something or is having an issue or um, you know a lot of times we'll get angry tweets or or reddit posts about um, the support team not getting back to somebody or but like again we're a small company our support team is like eight people mm-hmm. um, so like sometimes it's just like it's about patience guys but um, and uh, so so I don't know I, I wouldn't say there's been too much that's been super difficult to deal with mm-hmm. um, I think it's a lot of just the consistent, you know, consistent, you know, somebody's having an issue with a product, um, somebody's upset with our support team. But, um, you know, for us, it's also important to vet some of that stuff because there are a lot of scammers on the Internet that are trying to hassle our support team to get free product that they haven't bought ever from us, but they want a $300 headset for free. So, um, you know, there's that's another, you know, human aspect that a lot of people don't realize, like how tough it is to be on the support team where they're constantly getting crap thrown at them because, you know, somebody got one of the you know one defect in the thousands of products that we produce and so mm-hmm. you know they're yelling at the support guy when the support guy is just trying to 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 do do his job the right way and then also protect the company from from getting scammed out of products so you know again at the end of the day just uh, be good to people and uh, <laughs> and uh, remember that there's a human on the other side that's that's reading everything that you're saying <laughs> absolutely absolutely this uh, final kind of closing topic comes from Mr. Babbitt, uh, who hosts the Trophy Room, and he and I often discuss this because it's relevant to us, on, I guess, on a number of levels. But how should content creators of any kind, podcast, YouTube, what have you, or just uh, social media presences, how should they approach PR reps uh, for varying levels of, of things, review content, or like like you mentioned, or uh, just discussing things with PR for for uh, interviews or insight into products. How should content creators go about it? Is it one email? Is it like five? Is it Twitter DMs? What's the right way to do it? Yeah, no, that's actually a really great question. And one thing I, I really respect in some of the content creators that I work with is like knowing, knowing their depth and knowing their their reach. Because you know, if somebody would, if a smaller content creator reaches out to me and it's like, hey, I'd love to review the you know $300 Arctis Pro wireless headset, the $200 Apex Pro keyboard, and your most expensive mouse. Can you send them to me for free? It's like, okay, dude, you know, I, I appreciate the community that you've built, but like, I can't send you seven or $800 worth of free product. Um, mm-hmm. Because, they, you know, again, at the end of the our day, you know, every sample I send out comes from my budget. So it's like, I have to be kind of picky on what I send out. And I, what sure. I'd love to give every, but every budding content creator product, absolutely. But um, I, I'm much more excited to work with a content creator that, knows that they're small, that they're building. And it's like, hey, I'd love to start working with you, you know, like with our entry-level products. Like, hey, I just saw you put, set out the Rival 3. Um, you know, that's a, again, that's a $30 product. Like, I'd love to take a look at that and use it on stream, um, you know, maybe make a YouTube review about it. Like, that is a, a request I am way more interested in entertaining rather than if they ask me for $800 worth of product. I'm like, I'm not even going to – I might skim their email and then immediately delete it because I'm like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. – stay yeah. in your lane. <laughs> right. Um, so, so I think, I think that that's one big thing. And also, you know, of course you, you get kind of the feeling of entitlement where it's like, okay, if somebody small is just asking me for all this stuff and, and they get upset with me, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhat frustrating, but, um, and then in, in PR, they always taught us like the rule of three. It's like, if, if you don't hear back past the third email, then probably drop it because, um, you know, that's just kind of the, the general rule. But for me, sometimes like, uh, you know, with smaller content creators and, and it's happened, uh, I think even with bad bit, um, sometimes it'll get caught in a spam filter. So like, don't be afraid to reach out on a DM. I always, I keep my DMS open. Um, mm-hmm. so I always invite people like, you know, if, if you have a request, even if I can't fulfill the request, I have streamers sometimes reach out to me, I'll at least send them their email or their information over to my, uh, influencer lead for them to take a look at. So I always try to at least send people in the right direction. Uh, mm-hmm. even if I can't necessarily fulfill the request myself. Um, and then also, you know, like, you know, Luke, like getting to n- meet you and know, get to know you um, and Sean at E3 was really, really cool. So it's like anytime that you can, um, you know, connect and network with, uh, you know, PR reps at different events and, uh, you know, and take the time to build those relationships. And of course, they're going to be a lot more willing to, even if you are, are a smaller content creator, they're going to be, of course, more willing to um, engage with you. 
uh, and support you if there's a relationship there. Um, if you're just a random guy on Twitter that is blowing up my inbox about free product, I'm, I'm probably not gonna <laughs> gonna send you something. But um, if you if we have a relationship and I know you and your content's great and you have a, a budding community, then um, you know there's definitely at least a conversation that can be had. So um, awesome question, but I mean it never hurts to reach out no matter what your size is. We're you know. Um, you know, we're, hey, we're a small company, so we're always looking to work with um, content creators and influencers of all sizes. But uh, it definitely helps when the when the uh, influencer content creators kind of self-aware uh, and knows kind of what what their place is in 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 the market at least uh, at least for now. Because um, you know, I, and then and then you know that gives us a chance to get with that influencer early on and hopefully watch as they continue to grow and grow and grow. And I think it's really cool if we can say, hey, you know, we were with. Um, you know, we were with Insipid Ghost at the beginning, and now look uh, at how huge he's become. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's always great to to be a part of that growth in in any size channel for sure. That is wonderful to hear, and fantastic feedback because it is tough, uh, at least on the content creator side. I'm speaking personally, like, yeah, I don't know what's too many, what's too little, what's the right approach because you're busy people, and you know, some a lot of us have day jobs, and like, what's the right right approach? So, thank you so much for that feedback, Christian Cooper. You have been incredible and very generous with your time today. Thank you for for putting aside the time and joining me on the call, man. Hey, no problem, Luke. I was so excited to to jump on, and um, you know, I, again, I I had so much fun meeting you at E3, and you know, I know you and I have talked a lot uh, in the months following. So it's great to great to connect with you, and and thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Let's talk again in a few months, man. Once um, more stuff's coming out, we got next gen hardware to talk about. I'm sure we can can chat again. How's that? Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll have some good Xbox related news to discuss in the upcoming months. So <laughs> I like that. Tell us where we can find you on the medias of social. Yeah, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Ccoop Games. Just C C O O P Games. Uh, and if you want to follow me on Instagram, I just post a lot about me and my wife doing fun stuff. I believe that's just Christian Cooper 14. So, uh, yeah, would love to follow you. I'm also on discord and all that good stuff. So, uh, but that's all on my Twitter bio. So feel free to reach out to me on any of those platforms.